Hello, and welcome to episode 141 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the fishy. This week we're going to be talking about Splash on your Behold the Mermaid podcast. Mandy Kay, and I am on Twitter at Mandy Kay. I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. I'm very confused. There's no vampires in this one. What? <laughs> Where have all the vampires gone? Uh, yeah, I know. This was supposed to be a nice, lighthearted, fluffy movie to get us out of Vampire Month. <laughs> Splash! No! She'll save every one of us. Okay. Just a mermaid. The mermaid's coming. I have no idea what you're doing right now. No? Ah. Oh. No. You know, she's nothing but a mermaid who can never fail. No. No one but the pure of heart may find the golden grail. Oh, splash. No? Flash? Flash Gordon? Queen? You know, if you just keep singing, it's not going to make me yeah. magically know it. But if I keep singing, we don't have to talk about splash. <laughs> Frankly. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, keep trying. That's my logic, yeah. <laughs> welcome, All right, let's just... Welcome to our Flash Gordon podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, okay, let's just jump into it, right? Let's let's just rip that band-aid off and let's go. So, Splash. Splash. you who have <laughs> not seen it, <laughs> is a movie where a mermaid comes to land because she loves a man she's never actually met. <laughs> Are you going to fight me on that one? So last week you said sometimes you, you write them yourself when you want to put a little dig in at the film. Yes. Yeah. I get yeah. the impression that's what's going on here. I'm just reading between <laughs> the lines and finding that what might possibly be maybe. Am I wrong? <laughs> that is 100% right, except you're saying that the film's about her? Oh, okay. This film has nothing to do with The Mermaid. You're right. It's not about her. Okay, hang on. Let me see if I can adjust this on the fly. This movie is about a man who is an absolute lech and asshole who has lots of sex with a woman he doesn't know her name and she can't speak she and she's literally just really pretty, talk. so yeah. <laughs> this movie yeah is about men who just do things to women because they're pretty yeah that's that's pretty much there <sighs> Yeah. It hurt we, my we, heart to watch this movie. We're going to talk about some of the ways that women have been written in the past and the ways that we call them out. I think that's yeah, where we're going to have to I'm go on so, this one. Okay. I feel like I need to apologize because we have come out of this pretty hard out of the gate. And I know there are people listening to this who love this movie. And they love this movie because they watched it as kids. Mm -hmm. And I kids can completely understand that because for <laughs> children, I don't know what you said. Kids I was are talking. Dumb. Kids are talking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so let me just let me just throw this out there. I understand why kids would love this movie. Okay, it's it's loosely a romance. It's supposed to be this gigantic romantic movie, right? It's about a mermaid. Oh my god, mermaids are the best thing ever to little girls, second only to princess, right? <laughs> and the dude gets to fall in love with a mermaid and live happily ever after with her. So. Mm -hmm. It has all of the markings of an amazing 
wonderfully romantic movie. Mm-hmm. And for little girls who watch it, I get it. But I did not watch this movie as a little girl. I watched this movie as an almost 40-something woman, and I just can't with this movie. Just can't. Okay. I did watch it. I wasn't a little girl when I watched this, but I was much younger. <laughs> um, and yes, I think you're, you're absolutely right. The nostalgia factor is big with it. And when you watch it and you think, I mean, if you think love is real, ugh, what are you doing? Um, but if you think like love at first sight and destiny mm-hmm. and all that malarkey, this is the, what the film's trying to sell you. The problem is it's trying to sell it to you badly. Very badly. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a bit what the film's about? Let's, let's. <laughs> all right. Okay. So Splash is a 1984 Splash. romantic comedy starring yeah. Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. It was directed by Ron Howard and written by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. It was the first film released by Touchstone Pictures, which is the label created by Walt Disney Studios to be able to produce content for more mature audiences. Although this movie was rated PG. Mm-hmm. It was a commercial success, becoming the 10th highest grossing film of 1984 and is largely considered one of the best films of that year. Roger Ebert, however, gave it only 1.5 stars because he disliked the casting of Tom Hanks as the lead. He wrote, they should have made Candy the lover and Hanks the brother, then would be on the side of this big lunk who suddenly has a mermaid drop into his life. Not sure I quite agree with that either, but, you know, that's okay. In 1988, a made-for-TV sequel was released called Splash 2, T-O-O, which takes place four years later, and it basically undoes the idea that Alan can never return after choosing life with Madison, because they do return. <laughs> um, I'm just having a quick look. So, yeah, John Candy was the, the much bigger star at this point. Yes. Yeah. We, yes, we- this was actually Tom Hanks's debut as a lead in a movie. Mm. Although, although, yeah, John John Candy hadn't done leading stuff, but he'd been in 1941, uh, The Blues Brothers, Stripes, Heavy Metal, National Lampoon's Vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd done a lot already and was, was on the cusp of going on to do some of his bigger stuff. Tom Hanks was unknown. Yeah. Yeah. How were you able to watch this one? Uh, it was on TV in August. So I recorded it and really? got to watch it here. Yes. So I watched the TV on Channel 4. Um, and I, I know it was August. Normally I don't remember when I recorded it, but there were lots of adverts for, hey, Bake Off's about to start. And I know when Bake Off started. So. <laughs> of course you do. Okay. Um, here How about over States, there? Yep. It's not on any of the subscription services, but it is available to rent everywhere. So okay. if you want to watch it, you can go to Amazon or you can go to Vudu or google play wherever you like to watch your digital content if you would like to watch this movie but i strongly encourage you not to do that <laughs> so tom hanks Diana, and, and john candy for some something i don't think we've had them on the show before uh daryl hannah we have talked about because she was in blade runner oh yes she was yes tom hanks surprisingly not although perhaps on not too surprisingly because he's in a lot of very popular films john candy the same what's your experience of them Tom Hanks, I'm very, very familiar with. I've, in the vein of Tom Cruise, before I watched this movie yesterday, I would have said I have never watched a Tom Hanks movie that I didn't like. (laughs) And then I watched Splash. So I can't say that anymore, but he is largely very good at choosing the projects that he does. He's a fantastic actor. He's a fantastic human being. I just like Tom Hanks. Mm. 
We do. His early stuff is this sort of vein. Not necessarily the nicest, but still that kind of everyman thing. And then, okay. yeah, when he hits that, um, his sort of Oscar run, what was it? Philadelphia. I haven't seen the Philadelphia, okay. the Philadelphia story or whatever that is. So I, he really became in like on my radar with Forrest Gump. So okay. like Forrest yeah. Gump and after is and then, really the period that I know Tom Hanks from. Yeah. I think Forrest Gump, cause I think it was basically three years running. He was nominated for the role and almost expected to win it. And I don't think he did for Apollo 13. I think that might have been the third one. But yeah, suddenly it was, okay, now he is pretty much only ever cast as genial, nice, everyman type people. Whereas before he did have a slight mix. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So 80s Tom Hanks, not my thing. 90s and beyond, I'm good. Have you seen Joe versus the Volcano? I have not. Okay. Now, I can remember kind of enjoying it, but it being... Yeah, a solid seven, something like that. But I've seen a few things recently of people revisiting it and going, actually, there's a lot to this film. Just making me want to revisit it. Hmm. Okay, we okay. can probably put that on the list. Okay. But I'm scared, so we we might <laughs> want to have a super fan on for that one. Okay. If we can find one. Okay. Joe versus um, Volcano, let us know if it's one of your faves. Yes. Um, John Candy... I know him from comedy. Like, I honestly can't think of any movie that he's actually done. I mean, I know he did Uncle Buck, but I don't actually think I've seen Uncle Buck. Oh, really? Like, he's just kind of, for me, he's that guy. He's that guy who's funny. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because he's not necessarily the lead in a lot of films, but he's in a lot of films. Right. Um, and I think that's probably why I can't think of any specifically. Like, when okay. I think of John Candy, I I don't picture individual movies i just i picture john candy and like his his very over-the-top physicality Mm -hmm. in his comedy yeah uncle buck we watched last year having not again not seen it for many years it's really good Mm. it is very good like surprisingly better than i expected surprisingly visually good like the aesthetics and the way it was put together you go oh this is quite beautiful Interesting. Mm. Okay, so maybe Uncle Buck is another one for the list. Okay. There's a couple of films that came to mind that this is a bit like. I mean, there are a lot of films about kind of manic pixie dream girl types impacting the story of our main male lead. Um, But particularly from this era, we have one called Mannequin, which is kind of this story about a mannequin, and Overboard, which is kind of this story with a little bit of an embellishment, but about a woman with amnesia. So, yay. Um, I am familiar with both. And I, God, honestly, I've probably seen both, but I would have been very, very, very young. Okay. Um, I'm familiar with the like concept of Mannequin, but I don't actually remember plot points. Overboard is Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Yes. Correct? And they just did a remake of it last Anna year. Paris, yeah. Yeah. Which I've not seen, which I'm kind of... Mm-hmm. Because I can't remember. Yeah, it is Goldie Horn who goes overboard in Overboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's the one who ends up with amnesia. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I saw it as a kid. Um, but it's one of those, again, where I don't really remember much about it. Although I'm certain that they end up happily ever after at the end. Oh, probably. Oh, romance films. Um, Splash. Did you enjoy Splash? Oh, my God. No, I did not. <laughs> you thought it was worse than I did, which is quite a thing. I did. I did. Twice in my notes, I wrote, I hate this movie. (laughs) And the only talking point I have is this movie is trash. Okay. 
is there a point at which it lost you? Is it just the film in general? Is it performances? Can we tell us more about why you think it's trash? I mean, okay, it. No, not it's not why it's trash. Yeah, why you didn't enjoy it? Sorry. Why I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it started out like it had these little red flags and then all of a sudden it was just this <laughs> giant red flag, you know. So, I mean, we, when we start the movie, there are kids and one of the first shots we get is the brother dropping change to look up girl skirts. Yeah. Women's skirts. Yes. Even. And I'm yeah. like, OK, OK. So they're showing us off the bat that one of these boys is going to grow up to be bleh, right? Mm-hmm. We we move out of that to present day. And again, we get introduced to John Candy being John Candy in this movie. <laughs> and he's talking about how he wanted to write a story. No, no, no. He was talking about the story he got published in Penthouse called Lesbian No More. Mm-hmm. And then um, <sighs> we get the, it just, it just, it goes on and on and on from there. And I don't know. I it, don't so- know. it sounds like at no point did the film do anything that, actually made you like it no it didn't i wanted it to so badly it had so much potential the storyline has potential Mm -hmm. i mean we've seen something similar to it in the little mermaid the little mermaid Mm -hmm. is a feminist manifesto compared to this movie (laughs) okay i just that this movie just makes me angry at least the little mermaid gives us the story of why she wants to go to the surface uh, this is just Daryl Hannah has seen Tom Hanks and kisses him when they're small children and then kisses him again when she's grown up and then decides to return his wallet, which is just the flimsiest of flimsy. It really, it really is. But they could have gone in so many different directions once she actually got to New York. Mm-hmm. But instead, as soon as they meet again, you know, because... Naked Daryl Hannah gets taken to the police station, of course, and they give her a T-shirt. That's all she's wearing at this point is a Mm T-shirt. But she has his wallet, so they call him, Mm -hmm. right? And he comes to get her. And she can't speak. He doesn't know his name. Then they immediately go home and have sex. I I don't even think they go home and have sex. They stop the lift. Oh, does that happen in this? Oh, maybe maybe that does happen in this one. I know there's another scene where they talk about it in the elevator on top of the refrigerator mm. and some you, other places. You, you see the needle for the lift going up to the different floors. And oh, that's right. It stops four. between like, floors. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, they didn't need to do that. They could have had this beautiful, beautiful, like, story of these two people meeting, like, actually meeting and getting to know each other and dealing with the struggles of where they come from being so different that Mm -hmm. that she can only be there for six days. Right. And instead, we get this whole story about how, no, she's so beautiful that she can just show up naked and suddenly... They're in love, and yeah. he gets everything that he ever wants, and she doesn't even have to speak mm-hmm. for this to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's my sticking point for it, is for the first half of the movie, she didn't even speak. Mm-hmm. And, and when she does, she immediately learns English. But it's still ditzy and clueless and needs a man to look after her, even though she can learn English in a day from TV. Right? You know. 
Come on. Like, I think it's spectacular. I actually love that bit of character building, Mm -hmm. that she's smart enough that she can watch TV for six hours and pick up the language. Yeah. That's pretty fantastic. But the way they use it is for her to be submissive to Tom Hanks's character Mm. and for her to still use the language a little bit wrong and for him to then berate her for it and tell her how silly she is for getting it wrong. Yeah. Mm. I don't like this movie. No. I So you talked about how what you, you see this as a child and it seems wonderful and great. That nostalgia factor is the thing for this film. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I went on, you know, watched it, went on Letterboxd to rate it and had a look at the reviews because I, I really enjoy the Letterboxd reviews because there are people who go on and write five paragraphs because they think they're Roger Ebert or... Mark Commode, something like that. But there are also people who do one or two line takes. And the one or two line takes are usually really funny. It's usually like, I watched this film and oh my God, this person looks great in this scene and I want to marry them mm-hmm. for that. It's just, you know, okay. fun stuff, something along those lines. All the reviews that were over like two out of five were, I used to watch this with my parents and loved it. Mm-hmm. And my parents watched this and I loved it. Or it just, that was exactly what the the reviews on it were. There was no one who seemed to be coming to it now, even sort of younger people coming to it now and rating it, because the great thing about Letterboxd is it's a whole range of different types of people. Right. Everyone was either laying into it as being like, oh my God, this film's trash, or oh, I used to love this when I was a kid. Yeah. So I think there was something in that, you know, when it was when it was on in the 80s, everyone really enjoyed it. And I think my question for you then, off all that, is why did people like it in the 80s? Have attitudes changed so much? Is it because you and I watch so many movies and then spend an hour talking about the movie each time that we sort of can pick up on this stuff? I think these were conversations people weren't having in the 80s, mm. for starters. Like, it, the male gaze was not something – and I know we haven't actually talked about that yet. Yeah, but well, We're coming to it, yeah. <laughs> you know, that – the term even got coined just in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something people talked about. It was just something people did. It yeah. was expected, particularly in Hollywood, right? And I think this movie probably thought it was breaking ground because it's a romantic comedy following the perspective of a man. Right, yeah. Which has the potential to be something really interesting. This ain't that. Okay. But Ron Howard probably <laughs> thought it was. Mm. I'm not sure it's a comedy because it's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not actually funny, but it definitely falls into that rom-com genre for yeah. me. John Candy's good. Dohanna has a few good moments. Well, even, I mean, Eugene Levy's character is awful, but Eugene Levy is pretty great. Eugene Levy is great in pretty much everything. So, yes, we'll give him that. That's... Um, one of the reasons I rated it more highly than you was because I really like the effect on her tail. And particularly the bit where she gets in the bath and turns into a tail. Like, right. That was better than I expected for 1984, if I'm honest. Right. So yes. I was giving credit for that. And Daryl Hannah is actually very good at this. Okay. She's not given <laughs> very much to do. She's not. That's, but that's the thing. Yeah. She's clearly game for what they do give her. The, the eating the lobster. she goes it that's good just anecdotally i did i read something or somebody told me Mm -hmm. i can't remember that daryl hannah was a vegetarian and filming that scene distressed her and so they ended up filling the lobster shell with like coleslaw or something right yeah 
Because she w- couldn't eat the lobster. Uh, well, no, I yeah, I assume it was a fake shell. Was well, yeah. was it a real shell? Because you can't. I don't know. I assumed it was just going to be like a tofu or something. Or yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned the male gaze. Let's talk the male gaze, and particularly let's talk the sexy lamp test. Okay. Because that was the one that occurred to me. I think male gaze were definitely going to come to. Don't worry. Like, right? Yeah, there's a good conversation there. Uh, we talk about the sexy lamp thing. Sometimes, not not too often. It's not the the mo- biggest problem, but I feel this is the situation. This is the time when we could have more of a conversation about what it is and where we think examples of it exist. Okay, because I think this film is one of the biggest examples I've ever seen. So the sexy lamp test is: uh, if you can take a female character and replace her with a sexy lamp, you're a hack. <laughs> Basically, it's you know if that's the way you've written it, then you're pretty terrible. And it comes from. A Christmas story that has a lamp that is a sexy lady's leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always have a problem with it because usually there is a moment that, that the woman is needed in there somewhere. Something they do. Like in this, she saves him from drowning. So you couldn't just replace it with a sexy lamp. But also, yeah, after that point, right? she is there to be possessed. Yes. But, I mean, it didn't have to be her who saved him. No. Like, it could have been anybody. Like, he could have, like, the guy could have come back with a boat or Eugene Levy's character could have saved him because he was out there, too, watching him, you yeah. know? Like, it didn't have to be her. Um, it could have been anybody. And then, even though she did save him, there could have been a different love interest, you know? Like, I, giving her that one thing isn't enough to fix it, mm. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, I found a derivation of the sexy lamp test that I think is the one I might have to go to now. Okay. Which is sexy lamp with a post-it note stuck on it. <laughs> okay. And it's basically how you have these women who you want to be sexy and for people to lust after with the male gaze on them. But you give them something to do. And the thing you give them to do is know something and be an information dump. Mm, and yes. so, yeah, actually, that as a change is, yes, you should not have your woman doing that. You should have agency within there, even if you don't necessarily get to be in her point of view and understand the background. Mm-hmm. Get them just, you know, a bit of drive or a bit of their own desires. And in this, she doesn't seem to have anything except working out at the Bloomingdale's. And going, why even does she go to Bloomingdale's? What's the... She sees the commercial. Okay. So it's a TV uh, thing again. The ladies, yeah, the ladies in the fashion show looking all pretty, and it's all Bloomingdale's. Okay. That's what her first word is, Bloomingdale's. Ah, uh, okay. And then she goes to Bloomingdale's, and we have jokes about anorexics are so lucky. That was the first <laughs> moment where I, like, had mo- a moment of rage. Honestly, I did. Like, I don't know. Even in the 80s, I don't understand how that was acceptable. Mm. So for those of you who haven't seen this movie... <laughs> I'm sorry you're listening to Zarin's about this. Um, there's a scene where um, the mermaid, who as at this point does not have a name. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Not only girls. could she not speak, she doesn't have a name. She doesn't have a name. Crikey. But she's already had lots of sexy, sexy sex. Sexy, sexy sex. With, with, with Tom Hanks. <laughs> I like um, that. So she she shows up to Bloomingdale's to go shopping. And I can only assume it's because she's got Tom Hanks' wallet still, right? And the saleswoman sees her wearing men's clothes and is like, oh, my God, this is just so terrible. You should not be wearing this. This fashion is so yesterday, blah, 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 and pulls off 
a like skin tight jumpsuit off of the rack and says, oh, you should try this on. And she says, I couldn't pull it off. But, you know, my daughter could because she's lucky. She's anorexic. Uh, and, uh, like I like ugh, it was all I could do not to turn the movie off. It's excruciating. Just how do you even think you can write something like that? And then it's closely followed up by Tom Hanks recognizing that she's missing and he runs outside to the the doorman and says I'm looking for a girl and he the doorman turns around and looks at him and says 200 bucks. Uh, uh, like women are are objects in this movie. Yeah. Women are not like their own sentient beings. And I don't understand. I don't. It kills me. Mm. So that I think is the sequence where the male gaze kicks in. I think before that, I was actually watching this going, do you know, I think he's getting away with this. I think actually he could be much worse is, is one side of it. And so for 1984, I'll kind of give it a pass. But that's the bit where she's in the tight dress, doing some exercise and bending over and the men are watching her. Mm-hmm. And and so we are literally in the male gaze at that point. Yes. Before that, I, I was really surprised because you've got Daryl Hannah running around naked. So you have long shots of her legs, but there's not much else of her you could show. So actually that's quite a unrisque. Unrisque, is that a good way to say it? We did get her behind a couple times. But we never got the shot of her ass. And we and even the sort of shots when she was naked when she saves him are absolutely like just top of the shoulders up. Right. And okay. I, I think this is that because it's Disney, this is the very first touchstone picture thing. That's the only thing I can think is that actually they're playing it super, super safe because then when mm-hmm. once she's in clothes, it starts being, you know, the long looks are all up and down her. Right. Which is a real shame. But I was I was genuinely surprised that there there was a a fairly nude shot of her swimming underwater. But at the same time, she's swimming underwater. I'm not entirely sure you can do that shot without nudity in it. Right. Unless they decided to go full Disney with the clamshell bra. Which Absolutely. I'm actually yeah. glad they didn't do. <laughs> right? Because fish are friends, not food. <laughs> <laughs> Except she's the lobster. She does eat a lobster, that's absolutely fair. Um The male gaze. I think, again, this is a term we use. And quite often, I think in my head, I, I think about it as, is the woman being shown to be sexy, sexy? Usually she's naked and he's not that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's it's much more about um, th- th- the way the camera is viewing the woman. Not just how naked or sexy she looks, but starting with her legs and working upwards. The fact that they don't have a name and perhaps don't even have a face. Okay, Things yeah. of, of yeah. that ilk. Did you think it was from the beginning? Am I just being too forgiving of the film because I am a man? I... And you're absolutely okay to say me say yes. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna... <laughs> I, I think you have a point, but I think there are levels of the male gaze. And I right. think what you're forgiving is something I still call male gaze. It's just not quite as explicit as, for example, the workout scene where we get mm. the full-on shot of her butt while she's bent over. But the way they did show her naked, I mean, yes, her hair was long and it was strategically placed to cover things, mm-hmm. but we still got the shot of her standing there on display. 
Yes. More than once. Mm -hmm. And then when she did show up at um, the Statue of Liberty, we did get the shot starting from her feet working the way up. Um, And some of that was probably so they weren't showing full nudity. Mm -hmm. But you cannot show full nudity in different ways than panning up a woman's body. Yeah. And so I was feeling it pretty, pretty much from the beginning of the okay. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got stronger and less subtle the longer the movie was on. Yes, that I would agree with. Yes. Okay. Because even like the bath sequence, uh, see, it, it's okay, but it's all her with the tail. So it's all about the tail. And then as soon as she gets legs, it is a shot from behind her feet with her sort of being all curvy and him standing over her. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of she is submissive to him. Yes. Mm. Well, I mean that that whole shot, that whole scene was about him being in control of her because she didn't want him to come in, and he literally broke the bathroom door down. Yeah. To get in. Yeah. For no good reason. No, he's not. She's her taking dad. a bath. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. It sounds like she fell, but she can still talk. She's mm-hmm. telling you not to come in. She's okay. And yet he doesn't listen to her and he breaks the door down. Yeah. It, it's there just for that moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. It's, oh my God, he's going to find out her secret. Yeah. I mean, and you could even have done that with like, she's in the ensuite having a relaxing bath and he's like, oh, come in and join you. And it's not a locked door. So she's just trying to dry quicker than he can come in mm-hmm. as he's come in from work or something. But it's just, ah. <laughs> It's so frustrating. That's my reaction to the whole movie. It's one of those things that I I think I I have to just keep reminding myself that there's a legitimate reason for people to like this movie. And it is rooted in sentimentality. Mm. Yeah. I think. I think there's nothing wrong with enjoying something that's problematic because it gives you, like, warm fuzzies because it takes you back to a place where you were happy as a child. Yeah. It's just very different experiencing it for the first time now. Mm. Yeah, true. And seeing, I mean, this movie could not be made today. I mean, a version of it could be. Yeah, but not You know, the storyline, this plot, but mm. like this particular movie, the way they chose to tell the story could mm. not be done today. Yeah. I read an article, um, and, and it was an opinion piece. So it was a blog article of someone trying to make the case within the last decade that this is actually a feminist movie. Okay. And I was having a really hard time with it. And but but the more I think about it, the more I mean I I obviously disagree. I <laughs> there's nothing feminist about this movie, but I can understand why somebody who loves this movie and who has loved this movie as they become more and more aware of some of its more problematic aspects Trying to stretch and find ways to be okay with those things. Right. Okay. I, I, I've done that myself for things. Mm. I'm not really sure where I'm going with this line of, of talk. I think I'm trying to be a forgiving space I, a little bit. I think the one thing that stands out is something you said earlier about how it's a bit different because it's a rom-com, but the guy is the one who's unlucky in love and mm-hmm. having difficulty committing that kind of thing. There was a really good tweet you, you, that actually you got from uh, at your so Jen. You're so mm-hmm. Jen. You're so Jen. Probably think this tweet is about you. Uh, thank you, Jen. So Jen said uh, it could just 
what you were talking about why you like this and jen said it could just be from having seen it as a kid so often but i would say i enjoy tom hanks and Dara hannah it always pleased me that the guy was the one to have to give up everything for the girl instead of the other way around and I do like that, how he, at, at the very end, he tries to be like, oh, hey, yeah, we could go out and I could come back and it'll be great. And she says no. And he's not sure about it. And in the end, he's like, uh, no, if I want her to be safe, then yes, I have to go and do this thing. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about the end as, as well. Okay. I like the idea of the end, the idea that he is choosing to give up his life for her because so often we see stories where women give up everything for the man that mm-hmm. they are in love with. And so the idea that we have a story where a man does that instead is wonderful. The way this story was set up, though, was that he went out of fear, not love. That's true. Yeah. And that's what bothers me about it. He went because he was, I mean, yes, he loves her, but he went not because he can't live without her, but because he's afraid of the army commandos who are running straight at him with guns. So he has the option of staying on that dock and being caught by them or jumping in the water and following her. Yeah. And to me, it read as if that's why he jumped in the water, not that, oh, my God, I can't live with her and she's swimming away and I'm never going to see her again. Hmm. Hmm. It's possible that I was just so fueled by rage at that point that I couldn't (laughs) see anything good that was there. I will acknowledge that's a possibility. I I think the problem with the way we're both looking at it is we're so annoyed with how poorly she's written mm-hmm. that in some ways that's good writing. It's it's good writing that he was like, no, I don't know you that well to give up absolutely everything for you. I have a life. I have a family. I have a business. <laughs> I am the mayor of this town. <laughs> Hundreds of workers, they all depend on me. Uh, sorry. Um, so in some ways, that's the, the good side of the writing that she never gets. Like, ah. Uh, I think you're going to have to sell me on this. It, it's ridiculous that she can't speak. He doesn't know her name and they're still happy to have sex. And he's still in love with her in three days and still asking her to marry her, him after four. Like, yes. th- that is ridiculous. That is absolutely bonkers in both directions that she is in love with him so quickly, that he's in love with her so quickly. And there's no like, hey, can you at least tell me your name before we get quite that physical with each other? Right. Okay. What you would want is some, they actually get to know each other and fall in love through the act of getting to know each other, through the act of him understanding she's a mermaid and trying to protect her from the authorities or that sort of thing. Right. Because they didn't actually spend time together. No, exactly. During this, because he was still going to work every day and leaving her alone. Yeah. and, and Right? Like, the only time they were together is when they were kissing and having sex. Yeah. And they're so in love and she's so wonderful and he's so happy. Exactly. So at the end, in, in all of that, you would want someone calling it out. You would want someone doing the Elsa Tuana speech about like, no, you've only just met each other. No, you cannot get married. But instead we get John Candy saying, dude, you actually love her. Absolutely. But but what we would want is someone doing that we would want some sort of normally you know realist realistic conversation going on and that is kind of what tom hanks does at the end i think if he's like no i don't know you that well like i'm not going to give up everything for you Hmm. is that sort of realistic consideration that perhaps we might want but by that point the film has gone so far into the badness that it's just just go with her we all know you're going to just make it be over (laughs) 
I don't know. Maybe. Um, but again, that's why he chooses to stay, not why he ultimately chooses to go. And yeah. it's, it's the reason, the way they showed his decision to go mm. is where I'm struggling with. And it's it, you're right. It's about him saving her when the divers come after her and that kind of thing, rather than wanting to be with her. I mean, it's a very noble thing, but it's still, he is in a position of power over her. He is the one who can save her. Yes. I mean, she's the one who then saves him and swims off with him, but he goes underwater and bites a diver on the leg. Mm-hmm. For reasons, because that's a really good way. To, like, you can't fight underwater. <laughs> I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, this is not how that would happen. Like, them showing her using her tail to hit them was wonderful. Absolutely. Tom Hanks's character trying to punch them? Yeah. Not wonderful. No. Because apparently in this movie, that's how physics works. You can punch underwater, yeah. but, you know. But it is very chivalrous and noble. <laughs> so did you happen to get catch the scene this is one of my other least favorites yeah this is a least favorite section hey. <laughs> well see, you see uh, this film that's on the floor we're now going to keep kicking it <laughs> okay so this has to actually do with one of your favorite moments that you have listed okay and so i'm sorry i'm i'm gonna Thanks, Take Mandy. It. Thanks. Take it some more. Thanks. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it looks like you might have enjoyed the scene where he comes home to find her watching television and she's just absolutely just sad and yeah. distraught because the characters on the TV died. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you like about that? I, I like that idea that someone watching TV for the first time would not necessarily understand the difference between fiction and reality. Okay. I, I know what you are about to talk about. Because, yes, it's ridiculous because that also comes the second day that she's been watching TV when she's learned English from watching TV. But, yeah, all those yeah. other days when she was watching commercials and stuff and uh, she never quite worked this out despite being able to learn English that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do I do enjoy that she's watching TV and just sad that the people are dead. And I am convinced that I watched that scene and my mum had to explain that, I think, to my sister that I can remember us watching it and whether I was watching it or too little, I was just there. <laughs> But I can remember my mom being like, this is why she was so sad. And we couldn't okay. sort of block on to what the thing was. Okay. Mm. All right. I'll give you that, though. Okay. You're right. Like, <laughs> it's, the, it's the thing that comes right after that. Absolutely. That yeah, I get it. With rage. But yes, it is a very nice touch that someone who is actually watching a story on television for the first time would believe that these things were actually happening. Exactly. That's nice. <laughs> but what happens is Tom Hanks decides to explain to her that, oh, this is actually an actor. You know, he's not really dead. You know, he's going to go get shot on another show tomorrow. <laughs> That's a nice it's line. Actually, kind of funny is what he says. And she immediately stops crying and says, oh, so I should laugh? And then she starts laughing. Yeah. Because he tells her to, <laughs> she does it. What? What? There's just so much that's weird and wrong about it. All the way through, there's just these moments that are, I don't, why are you, no. Yes, they they portrayed her as, they tried to make her really smart and really stupid all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. Obviously, that's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. But, I mean, because they want her to be smart enough to learn how to speak English by watching television all mm-hmm. day, right? Mm-hmm. But they want her to be so stupid that she has to have Tom Hanks tell her how she's supposed to be feeling. And then she feels that way because he told her to. Yeah. And and smart enough to buy that statue fountain that she buys for him. 
But not smart enough that you don't put that in a bedroom. Right. And not smart enough to know that when he gives her a box with a bow on it, that she kisses the box because that's the gift. Yeah. Like, there's just so many moments where they make her stupid. Mm-hmm. And and there are things that they try to ascribe to the fact that, oh, she's not human. She's not from here. So she wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But those things aren't those things. No. Yeah. Right. I can understand her walking in front of a car. Kind of. Okay. I mean, yeah. self-preservation, you would probably not actually walk in front of a car, but, you know, not knowing what they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eating the lobster weirdly. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll give her that one. But, <sighs> yeah. The, it just made me sad and it made me mad. And it, it, Is it more frustrating because there is a kernel of, and I always talk about the kernel of something and something, but a mermaid coming to land to meet a man that she's fallen in love with is, is a story we like from Disney anyway. Mm-hmm. And then Devil Hannah, we like John Candy, we like Tom Hanks, we like Eugene Levy, we like. Like there, there is a lot in here that we should enjoy and that could make a good film, but yeah. the film itself makes all those things bad. Yeah. Does that make it worse? Yes. Okay. Um, so I, I was tweeting about this last night because right. this is one. Usually I keep my secrets until we record, right? I don't <laughs> tell people how I feel about things. <laughs> I could not hold this in. So I tweeted about it last night. And our friend Kate, who was on The Lost Boys with us, um, responded and said, did Tom Hanks not even redeem it? And I said, Tom Hanks was the worst part of this movie for me. Mm. I have never seen Tom Hanks so unlikable before. Okay. And it's it's the character. It's not specifically Tom Hanks. Like, I love Tom Hanks. But right. it, the character was written to be deeply unlikable, except we're supposed to like him. Mm. And I struggle with that a little bit. I, I feel like the reason we're supposed to like him is he's not as bad as John Candy. In some ways, I think that's why John Candy is so bad. Because even John Candy is usually quite a nice dude. You know, rough around the edges. But in this, he's fairly deplorable. Yes. And I, I think that is purely so we can go, oh, there's a nice one and a not nice one. But neither of them are nice. <laughs> yeah, there's the not nice one and the not nicer one. Yeah. <laughs> and then we haven't even talked about Eugene Levy's character. No. Like, yeah. he's just awful. He's an awful person. He's not s- sexist. He's an arrogant asshole. But he mirac- goes around throwing water on people. He miraculously knows where they are at all times. He does, which I found fascinating. But they did turn around and give that same superpower to Tom Hanks because Tom Hanks found him at the dentist. Yeah. What was that about? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they had like people GPS in 1984 and we just didn't know about it. Mm. Just o- over and above all of the, um, you know, badness of the characters and badness of the writing. It's then got plot holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, films with plot holes we tend to ignore. So, uh yeah, if a movie is good, I can hand wave plot holes. Right. And in fact, I've argued for them, you know, yeah. and, and like tried to be like, no, 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 it's because of this and this and this. And if yeah. it's a movie I like, I am happy to do that. We had kind of that. But when it's a movie I don't like, it's it's just another thing to for me to gripe about. Yeah. And, and the I bit, mean, that's, that's what it is. The, the sequence now where she's captured by Eugene Levy and the scientists that are experimenting on her, it basically becomes E.T., Yes. She feels all sad and starts dying and they break in to rescue her and then escape with her. Yes. And then years later, we'll do something similar with Shape of Water. 
spoilers, but <laughs> Shape of Water. Yeah. There are there are points of Shape of Water that are not too dissimilar to this film, but you know that one I that one and Oscar. That one either, so. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, with Eugene Levy's character, though, he's a really terrible human being. Like, his singular focus in this movie is to save his career, Mm -hmm. to become the rock star, to prove that mermaids exist. Mm. And he is willing to go to any lengths to do this without regard to other living creatures. Mm. He has, he does not care what this is going to do to Tom Hanks's character. He does not care what this is going to do to Daryl Hannah's character. No, not at all. All he cares about is himself. Do you, and that's deplorable. Well, do you mind that there is then a redemption arc for him where he realizes the impact this is having and he's the one who's prepared to help break her out? I didn't buy it. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I think it's just because it wasn't written well. No, it, it does come within a second. It's not you know, moments of him thinking about it. It is just he sees that she's a bit sad and they shout at each other and then he goes to Tom Hanks to help him. Honestly, though, I don't think he would have gone to Tom Hanks to help him if his boss guy hadn't kicked him off the project. True. Okay, yeah. If he had been included in the project and had been able to continue to study her and be part of it, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have done that. Okay. And that may be just because I hate him and (laughs) and think he's a really terrible human being. But, you know, Eugene Levy is great. He played the character really well. Yeah, it's very shouty. (laughs) You know, it goes to sort of one joke a bit too often for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I do like his continual, what a week I'm having. Yes. You know. Yes, that was nice. There, there, there is some good repetition in that. You know, it's so interesting to me that neither Tom Hanks or Eugene Levy's voices have changed. No. They both right. sound exactly the same as they did in 1984. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, Eugene Levy has a very distinctive voice, so fair mm-hmm. enough. But Tom Hanks, whilst he has uh, an, an inverted commas normal voice, you know, fairly ordinary voice, you're right, mm-hmm. he still sounds exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can find in this at oh, all? Oh, sure. That you want There's, to say is There is, a is one thing that I really, really liked about this movie. Okay, go on. His girlfriend at the beginning leaves him. <laughs> Tom Hanks gets shit on. <laughs> Seriously, my note in this is, oh, hang on, let me find it. Um, I think it's something like, she dodged a bullet. Mm. Oh, yeah, she dodged a bullet by moving out. That's what I said. Yeah. Like, they were living together and he won't even say he loves her. Yeah. So she moves out. She is lucky. Yes. She's the best thing about this movie. <laughs> we never saw her face. We got her name. Her name was Victoria. Yep. She had the best story arc in this movie because <laughs> she recognized he didn't love her and she left. Right. Nice. Good on her. <laughs> so there's not really anything in here you're going to recommend to people? No. No, there's really not. No. I can't. Okay. Don't watch this movie. <laughs> um, I I hate this movie more than I hate Clerks. Oh, interesting. Okay. This is our new low, is it? The, yeah, this okay. is the new low. This is... Okay. I. I think this may be the worst movie I've ever seen. Ever? Ever. Ever, ever? Yes. Wow. Okay. Because it's so layered. It's not just it's bad writing. It's not just it's terrible characters and it's a bad story. It's it's all of these things together, okay. right? I mean, there are bad movies out there, but mm-hmm. usually they're bad because like they're low budget and the effects are stupid, right? right? Yeah, or they're yeah. bad because like the story just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. This story had potential. Okay. 
these actors are amazing. Mm -hmm. This director, this cast, this story should have been amazing. Yes. Yeah. And it's trash. (laughs) So, yes, I will say this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And I think it's because it disappointed me so badly. Right. Yeah. I can completely, completely understand that. I mean, I can't agree with it, but I've seen a lot more films than you, so. Yes, yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think this is my this is my new low. Okay. Can I give you my favorite thing about watching this film? Yes, I, please do. I, please I, tell I recorded me it good. off the TV. Uh, it was on a channel called Channel 4. It was the film on okay. for like Friday evening film or Saturday evening film, something like that. And they have launched a new campaign. Channel 4 have launched a campaign about film on 4 with Direct Line. Direct Line are an insurance company. Um, And Direct Line sponsor Film on 4. And so they have idents going into and out of the adverts that are people on the Direct Line helpline talking to people who want to insure things. But they're film film themed. And they're hilarious. I've managed to find the nine minute video of all of them. But to the oh, extent... Well, I would like to see this link. I, I was coming out of the adverts early to make sure I could watch the idents. I mean, because admittedly nice. they were better than the film. I've, I've pulled out a couple of really good ones. Someone on the phone going, Oh, well, yippee to you too, sir. <laughs> or, okay. well, how, how fast was the other, other car going? I'd be furious too. <laughs> and, what if the hammer always comes back? Why do you want to insure it? <laughs> And it's just, oh, that's there are so many of these and they're all just really silly sort of, well, if you do have a, a specific set of skills, if we get disconnected, you don't have to find me. I'll phone you back. <laughs> it's just ridiculous things like that. So just to clarify, your favorite thing about watching Splash was the commercials. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. I, I will give credit. Like I say, Daryl Hannah's performance, I think is good. I think stuff that some of the Eugene Levy stuff is quite good. I think the effects on the mermaid were really good. Yes, yes. The tail was beautiful. Yeah. And and that bit where she gets wet in the bath and you see her legs turn and, and it must be some sort of vacuum shrink thing. Right. Cuz suddenly scales appear on her. It's really good. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's why it got a 4 instead of a 2, <laughs> frankly. Oh yeah, did, did you give it a 4? I you gave it a, a 2 and you, you gave, gave it a 4. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah, don't watch this film. Watch the direct line ident link that Mandy puts in the thing. It's nine minutes of silliness. It's a little dry after the after about four minutes, so you might want to break this one up. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Splash? When he wants to get married to her, he says we need to go get a blood test. Why do you need a blood test to get married? What is this? <laughs> Um, they used to do it. I don't think they still do it, but they used to do it to make sure you weren't related. Okay. Because here, I don't know how it is in the UK, but it's illegal to marry relatives. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, they don't still do it, but they did it for. You had to get a blood test to prove it? Yes. That's some... You weren't allowed to get a marriage license. That's some government getting your DNA malarkey going on there. That's (laughs) testing alien engineering clone genetic stuff. (laughs) That's that's X-Files malarkey. Let me just make sure I didn't make all of that up. (laughs) We're watching this and like, Catherine said, oh, I'll Google it. No, don't Google it. I'm going to make Mandy tell me. (laughs) Okay, so this 
particular website says that premarital blood tests check for venereal disease or rubella. And they may also disclose the presence of genetic disorders. Okay. But why do you need it to get married? Because the government said. It's weird genetic purity stuff. (laughs) This other article says that they did it to test for syphilis. And if you had syphilis, you weren't allowed to get married. This is under the puritanical thing that you can only have children when you're married, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe. Because that's not going to (laughs) work. Okay, hang on. Here's here's an article from advocate.com. Um, that's actually about, it says the truth about premarital blood tests. Oh, and okay. it starts, we used to think the premarital blood tests that were once mandatory in every state were a way to ensure each person's blood type was compatible and to make sure you two weren't related. Apparently, neither was true. So apparently, I have been living on misinformation. Oh. And- so this says the blood test was about public health. Used to monitor for rubella, which was the German measles, and Mm -hmm. syphilis. And several states also screened for gonorrhea and tuberculosis, and some ordered HIV tests for those getting married. Today, as of July 2018, Montana is the only state to still demand a blood test for women only to test for rubella. I wonder if it's a particular problem. I wonder if also the government just likes having people's DNA on record, frankly. Possibly so. Mm. I I don't know. But apparently the thing that I have always thought, that I have always been told about it being about not marrying somebody you're related to, <laughs> is not actually true. And it was a health concern. Okay. Thank you. When did it stop? Um. Well, it hasn't stopped in Montana. Mm. But only for know. women. I probably in the 80s, maybe. Okay. I really, I don't know. And Google is not being super helpful. <laughs> Okay, thank you. That was that was the only thing I could think to ask you about Splash, because that was the thing that halfway oh, through we went, wait, why is he making a big deal about a blood test? <laughs> this makes no sense. Because you used to have to do it. How many so? That's all I know. Okay. All right. Well, if you would like to join this conversation about Splash, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. If you would like to tell me all of the reasons I am wrong about why Splash is the worst movie <laughs> I have ever seen, please do that as well. I am interested in knowing why people like this movie other than the nostalgia factor. Um, you can also send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content, bonus shows, merch, stickers, magnets, all sorts of exciting things. If you want to find out more, you can visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we will talk about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, with Jera from Women at Warp. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I suppose you're just some harmless beach coma who happens to wear a tuxedo.